0: Welcome to the Manaverse podcast with your host Tom Traplin. This is session number 29.
1: That's always a good feeling to have somebody think of you as, as one of the must stops when, they're, when their friends or family visit, right?
0: Yeah, that's when you know you made it.
1: You know, so, yeah, it's it's been a fun journey, right? I mean, I feel very fortunate to be in the industry.
0: Okay, welcome to part two of the Steve Ellis Rainy Day Games interview. In this one, we go we dive deep into consulting for game design, development, publishing, all that stuff, as well as optimizing your event space and getting booked solid. So let's just jump in. Do you want to talk about your consulting on the side now?
1: Sure, sure. We can talk a little bit about
0: that. So how did you get into that? Like, did you have you published games before, or do you? What's focus so, yes. on?
1: So I'm trying to think. So, quite a few years ago now, um, uh, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. Even. Um, uh, my friends and I were playing, uh, like, the Railroad Tycoon game. Do you remember that one? Yep. Now it's Railways of the World. Okay. Um, uh, but but we were playing that quite a bit, and and a buddy of mine and I wanted a faster version of it. Because he works at a place where they play games at lunch a lot, mm-hmm. and um, he's like, he's like, man, I wish I could play like a train game like this at lunch sometime with the guys. But there's just no way because we don't have you know a two plus hour lunch.
0: Yeah,
1: um, uh, and we were like, we should just do like a card game version of it, right? So we did this Rare of the World card game for Eagle Games, and um, uh, showed it to them, and they were like, this is this, we love this, let's do it, right? And so that was kind of my first. Designer publishing experience, right? Hmm. i had mean, been kind of a, I mean, kind of a sounding board for a few publishers in the industry that I knew quite a bit, where they would send me games and ask me some questions, and maybe pick up a game or pass on it based on some feedback. Um, uh, looking at prototypes and things like that for people. Okay. Um, a little bit before that, um, but that was kind of the first game game thing that I did and then we did uh, I did like an event deck for the Railways of the World Railway Tycoon series I worked on a bunch of the maps for them did some stuff like that um, uh, and then I did some work for um, Bandai on some of their Star Trek games and just kind of and like kind of started putting my name out there you know it's like hey you know actually I'm Melinda you know edit rules or do whatever you know do some development, etc. you know, kind of whatever people wanted. And then, um, yeah, so I started doing some more stuff. I was involved in the Love Letter Batman that AEG did. Um, I did de- development on the English version of Trains that AEG did, the um, Hisashi Hayashi game out of Japan a few years ago. And then I designed and developed completely on my own the Trains Rising Sun for AEG. You know, um, quite a bit. Yeah, so that's a... I don't know if you're familiar with those Trains games or not. It's the, the Deck Builder. It's like a Dominion game with a board. Have you played those? Uh, no, not yet. All right, all right, We should check that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I did that, and then I worked on um, a couple other things for AG, Dark Seas and stuff, and then I did a um, uh, a little a little venture with um, my consulting company, Cryptozoic Entertainment, for the Walking Dead card game. Um, and I've helped on like rule books for some of the Grandpa Grandpa Bex games and stuff like that, um, uh, and a lot of other just kind of other stuff. I've got uh, a game called Dicey Pirates coming out from Renegade Games, the guys who did just did Lanterns and Gravwell and that kind of stuff. Okay, um, uh, that'll probably launch in the spring, uh, 2016. Cool. And then I'm working, cool. I'm working on a. Big game with Eric Lang and AEG at the moment. Um, uh, that I think they kind of announced, sort of at this year called. They were the well, like working title was Epic Adventure. Um, uh, so we'll see. We'll kind of see where that ends up, time wise or title wise. I don't really know at this point, right? Okay. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about mechanics and stuff at this point. Secret still but yeah but uh, I could talk a little about the, the Dicey Pirates game that uh, Renegade's doing Is um, uh, that game's essentially done, it's not in development anymore or anything like that, that's kind of a, a push your luck a push your luck dice game where instead of my big complaint with uh, a lot of the dice games not that, not that they're not great and don't sell really well, but some mm-hmm. of the dice games are solo play basically, so like you take your turn for a while and the rest of us sit around and do nothing Okay. Um, uh, And then when you're done or fail or whatever, um, uh, you pass the dice and someone else does the same thing for a while, while the rest of us sit around. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I kind of think that that's not exciting. So myself and a friend of mine, Tyler Tinsley, um, uh, came up with a little dice game where everyone is kind of actively involved in trying to decide whether or not they want to keep going or not and steal treasure or not or hold out for more. And you kind of see what dice are going to be rolled, and they have various risks associated with them and stuff. And everybody kind of makes a decision, and then the dice are rolled, and you resolve some things. So it's a little more, in my opinion, a little more engaging for everyone at the same time.
0: A little more interactive.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, there's more going on, um, uh, but it's still really simple, really fast. Um, so that that should be fun. I think that'll be uh, that'll be going. On. I, actually, I think it. I think they made. I think they changed the name. I think the name's going to be Dicey Goblins now. that I think about. It. <laughs> I think they're going with the goblin things, <laughs> sure, why not? but uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be goblins stealing stuff um uh I think that's gonna be the theme, right so you're you're basically trying to steal more stuff or get caught um uh, and then horrible things happen to you if you get caught, of course, oh, Obviously, but, uh, but yeah so i've been i've kinda I've kind of been doing a lot of that kind of stuff, my goal was to. Help pay for my daughter's college by doing a little bit of consulting and not dip into the day to day earnings. Good plan. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if that all works out or not.
0: So did the companies, like you said, you, they just kind of you got your word out or your name out there? Do they seek yeah. you out, or do you like actively go and say, "Hey, you know,
1: um, it's game a company, bit I could help some, you out if you want." So some of the stuff, uh, some of the stuff's been kind of. Contract work where they brought me in to help finish a game mm-hmm. that you know someone else started or had des- had designed but not developed very fully. Okay. Uh, uh, other stuff has been, you know, things that myself or myself and a friend had designed. Um, uh, like the first game I did, the Railways of the World card game. Um, James Eastham and myself, a buddy of mine here, I game with. We designed that, and then I basically pitched it to Eagle Games, and then they just bought that game and paid us a royalty um uh, so it just kind of depends some of the stuff's more contract bases. do you know do x over the next month and get this finished for us and we'll pay you and then um, some of it's you know more front end design work where later on they'll pay a royalty
0: um, which do you prefer
1: um that is difficult to say um, both have uh, some both have interesting their merits. aspects yeah, okay yeah, um, obviously if a game ends up being a big success, royalties is the way to go. Of course. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it's nice to, you know, I mean a lot of times you look at something and you know it's like, well this game will do okay, but it's probably not going to be this global smash because most games are not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes there's, you know, a nice simplicity for both myself and for the company, if they pull me in to work on something, to just Pay me and be done, and none of us have to think about it for the next five years. Um, uh, you know, getting paid some upfront has some has some good value for both sides. Yeah. You know, paying some trickling royalty on a on a you know the problem is a lot of times it's like the first print run, maybe the first couple print runs, the royalties are decent.
0: Then it but starts then, to slow down.
1: Yeah, then it slows down, and it's kind of like okay, so. That company's tracking it, and then they're sending me a royalty check, and I got to put this thing on my taxes, and it's like not really enough money to care about, and you know. So for the last the last two or three years, can be, you know, pretty unimpressive. Yeah. Um. uh, If a game's winding down, right? Um. You know. So sometimes it's just easier. I mean, I had a I had an old an old royalty recently. Just you know, they just sent me a check for everything else they had. As opposed to paying me again next year, right?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, it's just like, okay, here's what we have left in inventory. We're just going to pay you out because we're not reprinting it again a fifth time or whatever. Yeah, right?
0: it's just that's the end of it.
1: Yeah, it, we're we're done. We're done. Wouldn't you like to be done too? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, just that's awesome, right? I'd rather have it now than later. So,
0: yeah.
1: um, uh, and then it's off their books, right? They don't have to think about it. So sometimes just paying, you know, upfront for, you know, especially development work. Mm-hmm. When someone else's name's going to be on the box, um, uh, yeah. you know, someone else designed a game, and you're basically just polishing it up and making, you know, maybe cutting components, streamlining it, stuff like that. Usually, that's just, you know, you get you get paid, um, and then it's done, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, I, I'm I'm perfectly happy with that.
0: Yeah, it's just an interesting look and in a part of the business that not everyone really gets to see. Like yeah, most think, retailers aren't really involved in the creation of the game that they're selling.
1: Yeah, I think the most fascinating part about it for me, um, uh, and it is a really great perspective to bring to retailer discussions. A lot of times is the length of time that it really takes for it to all happen. Right. I think people are under this, um, uh, you know, for no particular reason, have this mindset of, ooh, someone designs a game and the publisher makes it." Right, and it's it's like well, yeah, that's kind of what happens, but it's it's not you know somebody didn't design it today, and the publisher's not going to make it next month, right?
0: Yeah, it's a little more complicated than it's, that.
1: It's just not the way it works, right? I mean, a if it was made already, it still wouldn't be here next month, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so I think having a a window into that process and actually watching a game go from you know, kind of my initial concept, which might take, I mean, you know, sometimes a game gets, like, the initial design can be quick. Other times it might take a year or multiple years and it might be set aside for a while and then somebody comes back to it, you know. But the thing is, is once it's kind of ready and pitched to a publisher, a lot of times, even when the publisher says that's awesome, we want to make it, you know, it might be a year before they can fit it into a print window. Even if it's finished. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I had I had a company email me from something that I pitched at Toy Fair, which actually is that dice game that Renegade's going to do um, uh, last week or two weeks ago. It's like, oh, I know it's been a long time, but we're really interested in this game. I'm like, well, I already sold to somebody else because you took forever. Um, uh, but um, you know, they were. I mean, they were like, well, we really like this, but we can't see any way to get it in our schedule before 2017. Yikes. So, would you still be interested? And I'm like, wow, right? You know, it's like, well, the good news is, is I already sold to somebody else because <laughs> um, uh, I had emailed and called you several times and you didn't follow up or whatever. But um, but yeah, I mean, so a lot of times companies will be, it's like, we, we like this, we want to publish it, but, you know, we already set our schedule for 2016. We already have games in the pipeline for 2016. Hmm. You know, so when you pitch them a game in 2015, it may be that they don't have room for it in 2016. Um, uh, you know, and they're certainly not going to make it the year, you know, I mean, if you pitched it to them at, let's say you pitched a game at Gen Con and they loved it, right? It's like, that's not coming out for Christmas, Yeah. right? <laughs> you know, it just doesn't happen that fast, right? You know, because there's you know, they're going to probably I mean 99 times out of 100, they're going to redo all of the graphic design and all of the art because there's I, I can't imagine someone having that finished, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, you know, they need to do all of that work. Then they've got to figure out where it fits in their schedule, right? They've got to make sure that it's not coming out at the same time as all of the other games that they're making, right? You know, they got to spread their stuff out and make sure it makes sense for their, uh, you know, not only budgets, but release schedule.
0: You yeah, know? yeah.
1: Um, uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to think about. And then, you know, you've got to deal with actually getting it made and, you know, hoping that they're you know, aren't aren't mistakes and things like that. So yeah, there's just a lot to there's a lot to do, right?
0: Yeah, it's um, actually it's a lot more complicated than you think just looking yeah, at the surface I mean, of oh, you just make the game. Yeah. I and know. I mean
1: almost always there's someone else involved in writing the rule book for the final version. Um uh, a lot of times the original designer um uh, can't even remotely get close to a finished rule book. Uh, why is that? Um I think there's several reasons. I think a lot of designers um, don't necessarily have that skill set. Like they're very creative and have great ideas and come up with these really cool things. Um, uh, And then clearly and concisely communicating it in written and graphical form to someone else who knows nothing about it is just not what they can do. Mm. Um, You know, uh, I think part of it a lot of times is just lack of interest. It's like, I'm done with that game yeah I've you know been spending
0: uh, months planning this in my mind. I don't want to write it yeah. all down now
1: uh, yeah, you know I mean are they kind of write it down but they write it down in a way that it makes perfect sense if they're right there to show you how it works
0: yeah fill in the but blanks some,
1: yeah, so someone has to basically write the document that fills in all the blanks
0: yeah
1: um, you know so there's a lot a lot that has to happen right a lot of times a, a quote unquote finished game isn't anywhere close to finished, right
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: you know so. Yeah, so there's a lot that has to happen. So I think a lot of times retailers don't realize, you know, how much work is involved and what what it all takes. Right? They think these games just just pop out of nowhere. And, uh, I liken it to the uh, people who are always referred to some some music group as an overnight sensation,
0: yeah, right? Overnight in the but, making for the for the last ten years.
1: Yeah, exactly. But they've been playing like you know, small shitty venues on college campuses for the last 10 years
0: yeah
1: <laughs> right but they were an overnight success
0: yeah because overnight is- everyone everyone knows who their knows what their name is
1: yeah yeah
0: so they didn't exist beforehand though
1: exactly yeah you know, so i think that i think that happens a lot right and i think you know retailers also are very unforgiving of publishers not having product you know or running out of product too quickly well i mean i mean and you know, certainly I feel that as well, right? Where it's like, oh my gosh, that game's so hot, why don't you have any?
0: I mean, well... We tried.
1: You know, and the answer is is that a lot of times, you know, they look at it and it's like, well, how big of a risk can you take on something where you're making the call now for what you're going to publish... Months you know, from now. Next, next June is when it's going to come out. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, we really like it. um, and And we committed to, you know, I mean a 10,000 print run, which is, you know, a decent first print run, you know, but if it's really hot when it comes out, those are going to go fast, but you couldn't really say, Oh, let's do 50,000 because you can't say that about everything.
0: Yeah. No, it's it. Publishers are definitely in a, a difficult spot. They have to make these decisions way ahead of time. They have no, they have no real idea as to how it's all going to play out. And there's a lot of risk involved for them, right? They don't want to a make a ton a of product and then have it all sit there because it didn't sell. You'd be out of, yeah, out of a business it, that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, having been in some of these discussions on Skype calls with some companies where they're trying to decide exactly what they want to do. Um, uh, and you look at, you know, I mean, a mistake is not, it's not only the money that you lose on on that product, right? It's the opportunity Lost on the other four products that you didn't make,
0: yeah right
1: yeah. because if if you decide to go really big on product a, you might not be able to make products c and d,
0: <laughs> yeah, and those might have been the ones that uh, really take off, yeah, it's hard to know yeah. hard to know ahead of time,
1: yeah, so it's I try to in the Facebook groups and stuff, I always try to remind people it's like you know it's like you wouldn't love it if manufacturer X came and told you all the things you did wrong Yeah, right? about how you display their product and how you do this wrong and how you do that wrong. It's like, I, I prefer to just accept that they run their business to the best of their ability and I'll do the same. Um, uh, and sometimes they aren't compatible.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's definitely one of the the tougher parts about being a game retailer and just working in that business. Just, Sometimes they don't always line up properly just with what the publishers doing with what the retailers doing just you know sometimes he yeah. buttheads it doesn't uh, the gears don't quite mesh. but you just got to do what you can, right?
1: Yeah I mean and there are certain I mean one of the things I've learned in the last few years is that as the market's been flooded with a tremendous amount of very, very good product mm. uh, uh, is it I mean if I go back 10 years, I could order whatever I wanted in quantity and be pretty confident it would sell like it's like uh, give me a case or two cases of that i know i'm going to sell that board game no problem okay um uh now there are so many games that are as good or better than things that used to sell that i have to say no to most of them hmm. because there are thousands of new board games a year so if there's more than a thousand a year your, your local customer base could not absorb a thousand new titles.
0: Yeah, that's like they're not not impossible.
1: Yeah, okay. So let's say you get 400. That's still more than one a day. More than one new board game a day Yeah, is a lot, right? So now I have to pick what I think is the best of the best and I'm still getting hundreds a year, many hundreds, right? Probably more than one a day.
0: So that's an interesting discussion then. How do you determine what board games to bring in? I don't know which ones are going to be the ones that are going to win?
1: So I spend a lot of time looking at things on the web, trying to figure out what manufacturers are doing, go to the trade shows, go to Gen Con, try to really get a feel for the buzz of what's coming. Um uh, sometimes I even go to Spieltag in Essen. Um uh and really have to watch the, you know, the, the buzz out of, out of that big spiel tag in Essen every year, because that really tells the story of a few titles for the coming year for the U.S. as well. Hmm. And then, you know, a lot of it's just kind of historical track record of various designers and publishers and, you know, how, how their stuff kind of fits with your local crowd. Um uh, you know, it's all, and I've got myself and a few other very trusted friends in the industry that will have pretty, pretty good discussions about various titles, as to how we all feel about them, um, uh, whether or not we think those are ones we should go big on or not. Uh, you know, so it's it's a lot of a lot of kind of research and then a lot of gut, right? A lot of gut feel and experience from experience, right? And trying to trying to figure out the best stuff. And one of the things I've learned the last couple of years is, is that. Um, if, if I do a good job picking, and then we do a good job promoting, mm-hmm. we can make certain games pop and be hits locally with us, right? Um, no,
0: you're a tastemaker.
1: And it's very important, right? Because the problem is is there's an overabundance of excellent choices for consumers to make, right? The problem for a retail store is, is that having... 100 games that sell one title, one copy each, mm-hmm. is a horrible business model compared to having two that sell 50 each. Yeah. Right? So now while I'm willing to have the 100 this year that sell one or two copies each, because I got to take my chances on some stuff that I think is good, right? I also need to really pick a few every month to cultivate and promote and try to turn them into the to big hits for me. Hmm. Because if I don't do that, I'll have an entire store of things that sell a couple copies a time, Right? Yeah. Because the, the, the market is just so muddied with high quality that the consumers don't know what to do.
0: It's an interesting problem to have.
1: It is strange. It's very different from when I first started in the industry when there was a, a, a lack of new titles in general, making it to the U.S. in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, uh, And now we're faced with so many good games that you could, I mean, you could take the first hundred games that I chose not to carry and probably sell them well, (laughs) right? I mean, maybe not great, but, you know, I mean, and every year I probably miss one or two that I end up bringing in later. You know that I go well. Apparently, that one was better than I thought because it has demand, right? I mean, but I really don't miss very many on the on the exclusion into things, right? Mm-hmm. I don't miss many hits. You know, it's easier to make a mistake and think that something's going to be good, and then have it be only okay. On the, yeah, so you have to be very careful on the ones that you really commit to. But you know, I've noticed that if we if we really try and can sell a whole bunch of copies early, because anything we do that with, anything we pick to promote, is going to be fabulous. It's just whether or not we can sell enough to matter. Um, uh, if we can sell enough to matter in the first four to six weeks, that helps us kind of seed the local market and create enough people who are playing that game and playing it with friends and stuff, just to kind of spread the word and maybe make that game a hit long term interesting yeah so but how if you, do you sell, sell two copies them? yeah but if you sell two copies of something it's very unlikely that'll be a hit long term for you yeah
0: and part of it's the exposure that your players are getting to the game right like so if yeah. their friend buys it and they play it and they're like oh this is really good I want a copy myself so I can play with my other friends of friends like that kind of thing and you get to that exactly. uh, now there's X number of copies in the community it's spreading on its own right
1: Yep, when you start That's... to get that organic growth, it matters.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do you go about promoting a specific game? Like, what do you do when you're like, this is the game I want to get out there?
1: It'll be it'll be either, I mean, sometimes we'll have a special night for it. Um, uh, almost always it'll be something that we focus on with one of our kind of um, center of the store demo tables that, you know, everybody on the staff gets trained on how to play it so that we can give a quick demo to anybody who's interested Um uh if we're really lucky, um, uh, it's a game where the publisher is excited to partner with us in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asmodee did a great thing earlier this year where they did the two-week early launch for Elysium, and that was a huge success for us. Where cool. We had it two weeks of exclusive sales before any online sales were allowed. Mm. Uh, any brick-and-mortar store in the country was allowed to sign up for it. And, uh, so I think that, that was a fabulous opportunity, and it worked really, really well for us. And that game has continued to sell since then. No. Um, uh we we did a similar um, uh, thing with Lanterns from Renegade earlier this year. Um, uh, and and both Lanterns and Elysium they also provided us with um, uh, some promo stuff, so that everyone who bought a copy of the game got a little special card or tile or something, right? Whatever yeah. fit the game. Um, so some I think some little added it's, value. Yeah, yeah. So stuff like that, right? I mean, I'm a huge fan of any time we can provide a little bit of additional value to the consumer. Um, I think consumers appreciate that much more, and that builds much more loyalty than discounts. Mm-hmm. I'd rather get something cool and special than 10% off or 20% off as a gamer. Yeah, me too. Right? I mean, I'd rather have the promo tile that gives me something a little extra for my game any day over a discount. And, uh, you know, but, but I'm kind of a gamer completist guy. So,
0: well, I think most people who own game stores are probably around the same, they have the yeah. same mindset.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so those kind of things where we really focus on a game, make sure the entire staff knows how to play it, um, make sure the entire staff kind of believes in it and, and likes it, right? I mean, that's huge. Um, uh, you know, so if if I do a good job of kind of Picking those games, and usually, what I'll do if I'm if I'm considering some games for that upcoming games, I usually get with a couple of my, you know, long-term staff guys, and sit down with that list and talk to them about them as well, and make sure that we feel like we're picking things that everybody on the staff can really be behind. Um, you know, and while we'll also, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna, not going to lie, I I will add weight to certain publishers who I know support retail stronger than others as well Mm. i don't want to promote a game from a company that has a horrible track record of keeping product in stock that's fair you know i mean the last thing i need to do is increase demand for something that i won't be able to get right
0: yeah not not really going to help you
1: (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean you know we have to be you know so there's a lot to think about before we kind of pick those games that we want to highlight um but I think it is important because I I do see, you know the, the more mainstream customers that shop at my store, and I'm going to say my store is probably dollar wise probably sixty forty hardcore gamer to casual.
0: Okay.
1: Right. Um. Uh, and the casual people are often just overwhelmed with the new release table. Mm-hmm you know.
0: Yeah, I can every, see that.
1: Yeah, I mean, they 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 just don't know what to do.
0: Just an <laughs> abundance of choice, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I figure you know you've got you've got your gamer customers who come in one or more times a, a week. <laughs> a lot of times, mm-hmm. um, I mean, ha- half their trips might be just I'm in the neighborhood. I want to stop by my game store. I'm not yeah. even going to buy anything. Right? Um, um, just say hi. Yeah, you know, just to say hi, see what's going on, see if there's anything new and exciting they didn't know about. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but those the, the other people who are kind of definitely into games but more mainstream casual customers who may become once a month or once every other month or, you know, every four to eight weeks, four to six weeks,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean... You think about the number of new board games, because mostly those are board game customers, right? They're, they're not really RPG customers or miniatures customers for the most part, right? The yeah. casuals. Um, uh, so you think about the number of board games. Well, if it's six weeks since you've been in, right? And I get a new game on average every day.
0: <laughs> that's a lot of, a lot of options.
1: Like, if you never look at anything that's not new, Every time you're overwhelmed with, you know, thirty to fifty new titles. Every time you come to the store, yeah. So, as as a casual person whose you know spare time doesn't involve internet searches about the latest games, yeah, right, you're you're just overwhelmed every time you come in because the new stuff is all new. Like, nothing you saw last time on the new table is still there.
0: And it's all good. And it's all
1: good good stuff, right? It may not be, you know, it may not be my particular favorite type of game or your particular favorite type of game, but all of the games that are on that new table, unless I've made a big mistake, are games that are going to make Certain types of gamers very happy, right um, so yeah, so you're kind of overwhelmed, and you don't know what any of them are because you're you're a casual person you're not a you're not a board game geek researcher, right mm-hmm. um, so you don't really know what any of them are, so you're one hundred percent dependent on the staff to tell you about it. so if we've got a couple of games featured on demo tables, like those are those are very comfortable purchases if you like what you see.
0: gotcha. So it's very important to kinda of curate the experience and help them like guide those casual customers to what they would probably like. Get to yes. know them and be like, Oh, this is the game for you. Don't yes. don't really don't worry about all these, these twenty nine to forty nine other ones. This is the yeah. one you want.
1: Yeah. And certainly we're here if you want to ask questions about those other thirty games. But you know, we've we're trying to we're trying to help you out as much as we can by featuring these three in the center of the store.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: right you know that that are uh, you know maybe a couple of different a variety of price points and a variety of game style right maybe one's an abstract type game maybe one's you know a card game and maybe one's more of a board game big board game right
0: mm-hmm. so do you focus but, your uh, your demo tables on the casual gamer stuff like do you try most- and hit the mainstream for the demos
1: mostly yeah yeah mostly um I would say probably ninety percent of the time. Mm-hmm. What I've learned is that most of the stuff that's really targeted at gamers, um, unless it's a filler game that's quick and easy, are often too big and cumbersome for effective demos anyway. Okay. Um, and and they pretty much know what they want already. Now, what we'll have for some of the gamer more gamer games is you know special game night or a Sunday afternoon at the store where we're featuring some new board games that are, you know, for the board game crowd that's going to be there already. Um, uh, so that kind of stuff. You know, as opposed to a demo table. I mean, most games from Fantasy Flight Games cannot be put on a demo table with any yeah. effectiveness. Um, it works fine at Gen Con when, you know, that's what people are there for. But it doesn't really do me any good to put Descent on a demo table even when it's brand new.
0: Yeah, like, no. If the game's going to take two to three hours to play, a demo is not going to really convey everything. It's going to yeah, be kind of difficult mean, to get across.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I hear them talk about, oh, you should run demos of this and demos of that. And I'm like, I don't, I, my store is busier than that. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't have staff to run. Well, you can really demo this in 15 or 20 minutes. I'm like, well, I don't have 15 or 20 minutes to demo games. Like, that's my guys have two minutes to demo. Not twenty, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? You know, I mean, and at a twenty-minute demo, I pretty much need you to guarantee me a sale. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, right? I can't, I can't have a a twenty percent success rate with twenty-minute demos, right?
0: Yeah, just no value, not worth the, yeah. uh, not worth the time.
1: Yeah, you know. On the other hand, you know, I mean, I can demo a, you know, a, a twenty-dollar, a little twenty-dollar game that. Takes a couple minutes to demo. I mean, those, if, if half the time they, you know, or a third of the time they result in a sale, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and a lot of times those games result, result in those, you know, quick demo games of the fun little fun games. They may not even result in a sale today, but it's going to, it'll sell a game, right? Um, uh, it's, it's now now something that's on their list that they're going to buy later. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because there's a big bonus in knowing how something plays, as opposed to reading the box and wondering if you might like it.
0: Yeah, there's a big difference, the reading versus the actual experience of the game itself.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, even if even if I can give you a a sixty second glimpse of the game experience, um, uh, it'll be fine. Like, I don't know. Have you seen Code Names yet? Not yet. Okay, so it's, I think it releases on Friday. So um, It was kind of a big hit at Gen Con. You know, I, mean, I, I expect that game to just it'd be a monster on the demo table. right? Because it's, it's just the kind of thing where I can basically sit down and instantly tell you how to play. <laughs> and then I can walk away. And if you and your buddies want to play for an hour, you can. But I mean, a game only takes a few minutes,
0: right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just the kind of thing that's, that's so easy on a demo table right yeah Uh, you know and and you know i sell a lot of fantasy flight games but we don't have to demo them
0: yeah it's to the customers that already know that they want them
1: yeah 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 and i mean we'll run we'll run game nights sometimes when a new fantasy flight game comes out right you know but it's uh it's still mostly attended by guys who are going to buy it anyway
0: yeah yeah different strategies for different styles
1: yeah yeah you know, I mean, we'll run a big game night for a new fantasy flight game, and you know, it's, you know, the the ten people show up. You know, six of them had it on pre-order. Yeah. Right. You know, and the other guys were probably gonna buy it, but they were just waiting. <laughs> and it's not like it's like no one who was randomly at the store decided to try that three-hour fantasy flight game because there was a, an event going on for it. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's it's all people who targeted that game saw we were doing for something for it, were very excited and showed up for it. For the event. Yeah. Yeah. And now I mean it may convert one or two of those people. You know, who were on the fence, right? But uh but for the most part, you know, fantasy flight type games have their passionate fans. You know, the guys who want to play a three hour game know they want to play a three hour game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same way as RPG D and D players know yeah. yeah, I'm gonna go and get the D and D books because that's my thing, so you don't have to necessarily show them how to play the new D and D version, they're just gonna go and buy it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It's it's what I love. There's a new RPG from Company X. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna try it. Yeah. You know. Um uh yeah. It just kinda depends on what your thing is, right? You know, if it's Shadow Run, you're gonna buy every new Shadowrun book.
0: Yeah. You know? Exactly.
1: It doesn't, doesn't matter. And, and the casual guy who walks in my door is not buying the Shadowrun
0: book.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much we talk about it.
0: Too much of a commitment for, for some people. Yeah. yeah. All right, so your store's been open for a very long time. You've got yes. lots of history. What uh, What's your future plan for the store look like?
1: So I've been thinking a lot about that this year um, uh, currently we're um, uh, you know there's, there's always our store is about 3600 square feet mm-hmm. so it's a good size when we opened in 2001 it was big um, uh, by industry standards quite big mm-hmm. um, uh, I would say now that it's probably uh Maybe slightly larger than average. I think there, there are quite a few bigger stores now than there used to be, but there's also still a whole lot of small ones. So it's so it's kind of hard to say. But I think that um, uh, among the you know top tier game stores in the country, I think we're probably on the small side size wise. Um, uh, I think a lot of the stores in the business these days that have comparable sales are much larger than ours based on the guys I know okay so part of me says our business model is very good with the with what we've got going right now I really like the size of the store from a retail standpoint um, I think that if you get substantially larger you end up with a lot of situations where you have a lot of inventory that doesn't turn very well you have a lot of Money sitting on the shelf that 's not really making money mm-hmm. um, uh, so I really kind of like the the retail size and that. I feel like we have enough space to offer a very diverse product line and make pretty much everybody happy who doesn 't want the museum store experience right um, uh, of the of the giant you know i 've got everything for the last thirty years kind of thing, yeah, but i don 't want to be that store um, uh, you know, so I think I think we've got a great mesh there. Um, however, within the last year, our seating capacity on more than just the weekends has been challenging for for event space. So okay. that's the the one area where I have I have concerns slash interest in expanding going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I absolutely love our location and think where we're at is great. So we'll see what we do. Um, you know, we've, we've toyed with things in the past, like, you know, um, expanding, moving, all those kind of options. Right. So it, it'll be interesting to see where we go. I'm a little cagey on this one. Cause I really don't know.
0: <laughs> no, that's fair.
1: Um, uh, I, we've always been pretty, pretty solid on our desire to be a single store location. um, I'm not particularly excited about running more than one store. Um, uh, If I had the perfect employee who had his heart set on his own store, we would finance it in a heartbeat and make it happen. Um, uh, But I think I've got a great staff. I love my staff, but I think they also look at what I do in addition to what they do. And they realize that maybe they don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know that i have anyone currently who's who's excited about doing what it takes to to do a startup store right um uh, so we'll probably stay with one location because i know i don't want to do it um uh you know so we'll see uh, i would love to expand in our existing spot um uh, but that's all landlord dependent on um uh, Mm, yeah. whether or not that becomes an option, right? Um, uh, I don't see us moving just because our current location has been so good to us, and I don't see it being a problem for us other than just a little bit of event space issues, right? It's also possible that a year from now, you know, events, event space needs change, and they're not what they are now. So um, uh, I have never been a big fan of paying for a bunch of event space that does not get utilized every day. Okay, I know there are a lot of stores that have huge event space. You know, they can sit two hundred magic players. You know, I can sit more like sixty, right? Um, which is uh, still not bad. Which is still not bad, right? But there are a lot of stores now doing two hundred person magic events. You know, I mean, but I look at it and I go, well, I think that two hundred seats for magic players is a fine expense if you're doing that multiple times a week.
0: Yeah, I would th- to justify that you'd need to be running a
1: lot of a lot of events, but very few people are filling that space with regularity, right? Um, you know, I think it's it's difficult to seat two hundred people five days a week for anything. Yeah, um, even
0: movie theaters so, have a tough time with that.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I I I think that that's a risky business model. Um certainly, if you're in the right part of the country where rent is appropriate, you can pull that off. Mm. I don't know that you can do that on the west coast or in a big city um, like it's it's very difficult here to pay for ex- excess space that you're not utilizing well. Um, uh, you know, I think it probably fits a business model in the Midwest much better because you know your your overhead cost for retail space is going to be substantially lower than you're going to see on the coast. That makes sense. And retail prices are the same. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, the counter argument to that is my customers probably make more money than the average customer in the Midwest. Right. Mm -hmm. So my customers perhaps spend more money than, than, you know, the guys in the Midwest, but I don't know that I agree with that because the vast majority of my gamer customers are not necessarily excessively high paid people. Right. Um, uh, the high end, the high end tech workers are not necessarily my hardcore gamers. Um, uh, they're kind of sort of gamers, but they're not my best customers. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we'll see where we go. Um, I'm certainly not ready to get out of the industry anytime soon. Um, uh, I'll be 47 this year, so I feel like I mean,
0: I'm not yeah, ready to run time.
1: away. <laughs> lots of time
0: another 20 years
1: yeah i mean we'll, we'll see what i want to do right i mean i certainly i'm at a point with my business where you know i can i can step away for a few weeks at a time if i want to take vacation and that kind of stuff i've got a great staff that they can definitely handle that kind of thing um we've got systems in place where we can you know i can i can step away and things don't fall apart um you know i like to touch the touch the rudder now and then to keep things going in the right direction and make little adjustments to what we're going to focus on and things. But, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I think with the, you know, with that ability to step away now and then, I don't, I don't really feel a need to get away from it. Um, that's good. You know, I'm still happy and excited when I go in. So
0: yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah you yeah. still, you still enjoy the work. I so do. in that case, why, why change things? If things yeah. are still going well, you know,
1: exactly. So we'll see. I mean, if I get the opportunity to figure out how to add some event space to where I'm at, I might do that if the cost structure is correct. But, uh, you know, I can juggle my my mostly full space for for a while and be pretty happy that it's making money. <laughs> yeah,
0: and again, that's a pretty good problem to have when you're butting yeah. up against your uh, your seating capacity. So that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I would rather be in that boat than be empty five days a week. Exactly. And wonder why I'm paying for 80 seats that no one's using. Yeah, because um, uh, even even the fact that we're close to capacity nightly, I mean, I'm still not using that space most of the day.
0: Yeah, you've got all kinds of hours that uh, you can still make use of.
1: I tell people all the time who want to run special events at my store. It's like, well, I got all kinds of options for it. But what about the? No, you can't have weekends. Yeah. <laughs> You cannot do your kid's birthday party at my store on a Saturday.
0: Nine to five, Monday to Friday, maybe.
1: I got a lot of options Monday to Friday.
0: <laughs> do you get all that? Like, does that actually happen a lot? Do people take yeah, advantage of that?
1: You have people who want to do that a lot. That's the one thing that I'm, uh, I'm currently really struggling with. Is my event calendar is very full, and we're close to capacity most nights. I don't think that we're short on seats most of the time. I think we're in good shape, but we're you know kind of close to capacity. Mm-hmm and uh which is awesome and i'm very happy with that schedule that we have but i am struggling with a lot of the community outreach stuff that we used to do um and finding slots where i can do that you know mm-hmm. so, like we've got some fundraising events that we do for like local high school marching bands and things like that where they basically get the store for an evening and they come in and hang out and play games and shop and we give X percent of the sales to the band for their fundraising thing. Hmm. And those those have been incredibly successful for us, historically. I mean, it's been something that's really taken off and done well for us. Um, but they bring so many people in that I basically need a vacant night.
0: Which my, doesn't happen um, very often on anymore. On
1: my event calendar, and I really don't have vacant nights anymore. Hmm. So when I have... You know, I have several—you know—a few times a month, at least, where I want to run something big like this. I'm—I'm I'm in a—I'm in a tight position where I have to figure out, you know, what maybe I'm not going to run on a certain night to kind of thin it out enough that I have room for <laughs> the special event, right? Yeah. But those community outreach events are things that I don't want to not—I I definitely want those in my store, right? Because it's—it's a really good thing for the community and a big. PR boost for us right
0: yeah that was definitely a win-win yeah so Hmm.
1: so yeah so I have to figure out how to slot those things in so slotting those things in has just become a real challenge right um uh, you know and I've got people you know I mean I have emails this week with people looking for slots in November and early December already so
0: (laughs) nice getting booked
1: Yeah, so it's so it's hard to so now I have to figure out like what night I think might be good <laughs> at that point, right?
0: Yeah, because
1: I pretty much have to lock them. They need their dates locked in soon, so they can put them on their calendar for their for their group, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we have to lock those in, and then and then accept that you know whatever comes up, we we can't run it on that night, which is usually okay on weeknights. We have to be careful for weekend stuff because sometimes companies game companies will pick a weekend where we have to do something hmm tricky
0: yeah
1: yeah it's like oh by the way there's this event that you definitely need to run if you support our products and it has to be run on this saturday it's like oh thanks for the two-week warning
0: yeah (laughs) Eh, you do what you got to do though yeah especially with something like like that it's like no choice
1: yeah, that's one of the things that on the on the Gamma Retail Board that I'm a part of, we've really tried to focus on getting publishers to really communicate things with more warning. You know, it's like if you want us to support and partner with you, you know, you really need to get on our calendar 6 or 8 weeks in advance at a minimum. Because those of us that are really doing a good job and really running events and promoting things and pushing product for you we probably have our events scheduled out more than a couple weeks ahead of time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It'd be nice if they put a little more effort into working with you.
1: Yeah. 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 So a a a few have gotten much better. Um, Asthma Day has really kind of gone above and beyond this year where they've got their Asthma Play thing going where we get special kits with promo items and all kinds of stuff. And they promote it in advance. And so some of them are starting to get it. Fantasy Flight's been pretty good, but they're so big and so busy that occasionally they short, short solicit us with something that needs to be done in a few weeks. I don't know if they've missed it or what's going on. I think some of it's licensing things with Star Wars and stuff like that. Mm. The big thing this week is there's new Star Wars X-Wing models from Fantasy Flight on Friday, but no one can talk about it.
0: No one can talk about it?
1: No. Nope. Our distributors don't know anything about it. And oh. they're not allowed to say whether or not they know anything about it.
0: <laughs> Cone of silence, eh? So there are no that's pre-orders.
1: Yeah, so no one has pre-orders put in for it because they weren't allowed to take them.
0: Why? That seems very strange.
1: Yeah, it's a Disney Star Wars licensing thing. So Gotcha. So that's kind of the big thing of the week. I'm like, it is what it is. Don't get upset about it. There's a bunch of retailers all upset about it. I'm like, well, It'll it's pass. here. It'll pass whatever happens on Friday we'll deal with (laughs) Hmm. fight the battles you can control
0: yeah stoicism helps
1: yeah I mean I think part of that is you know after you've been in the industry a while you realize some stuff's gonna happen that you don't agree with it's okay
0: Yeah, move on business as usual yeah keep going
1: go promote an event that you can make better in your own store
0: exactly all right, so we've uh, we've crossed the two-hour mark. It was pretty good. So, uh, thinking, gonna ask one more question. Sure. Uh, I asked this with pretty much everybody. Okay. Uh, it's more philosophical and it's personal. So, what does success look like for you? What, when you think of your store, like what is a successful business for you?
1: For me, so for me having rainy day games be successful really is is the fact that I can make an adequate living personally for my family um, uh, and provide that, you know, a level of decent employment for my staff, right? I don't want my staff to be minimum wage lackeys, right? I want them to be, you know, professionals that feel like they make enough money to matter. I mean, they're not going to get rich working at my store, but I mean, it's a big... A big thing for me is that I make a decent living, my staff makes an okay living as well, um, uh, and that you know we're we're just a big part of the community, right? I mean, I want the store to be part of the community. That to me, that's a success, right? When I look at guys who grew up playing at my store and they come back with their family and their kids, and you know, and they tell everybody they know about us. I mean, to me, that's you know, if I can do that and still make a living. And provide a you know a place of stable employment for my staff. I mean, to me, that's that's everything I could dream of for the for the business, right? I mean, um, uh, I don't have any delusions of getting incredibly wealthy running a game store, right? But I would, I mean, I think that you can definitely make a decent living running a store if you do it the right way.
0: Good answer. Yeah, it works for me. <laughs> yeah, so that's good though too, because that basically means you're there right you've got everything you wanted
1: yeah I feel like I mean I really do feel like I mean obviously I mean for me it's a success I definitely want to keep growing it right I mean I'm not satisfied you know it's not like I'm unfinished right but um uh, I'm definitely very happy with where we're at and I think it's been successful um uh, I, f- I feel like you can have success and still and still want to excel and be more successful right
0: Oh yeah, It's a never ending curve. Yeah. That's the I mean, curse of the entrepreneur though.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do definitely feel like you're either, you're either improving or you're going the other way. Right. So, yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy. I mean, I think being in this industry with the friends that I have in the industry and the customers I have and everything else, it's just, I mean, it's, it's very rewarding. It's much more rewarding than just showing up and working at some big company. Um, uh, and not not really having an impact on anyone right yeah um uh, i know there are i know there are people whose lives i've made a difference in running a game store which seems silly but uh you know i know we matter it's a good good answer I, i like that a lot yeah
0: and i think uh we could probably keep talking for several more hours i've got lots and lots of questions that we could just keep going into things but we're already at uh this is a pretty extensive interview at this point, so
1: yeah and i I probably ought to do some more work too
0: yeah. <laughs> so uh it's been a pleasure though I'm very happy to have yeah. you on the show and if uh if the listeners okay. want to come and find you you know online in real life, uh where do they go to do that?
1: so online, you can definitely find us at our at our website it's just rainy dash day dash games dot com hasbro owns the other one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I figured that out this morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've tried many times to figure out how to buy it, but they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us on Facebook, Rainy Day Games. We're on Twitter, Rainy Day Games. Um, uh, and and our website and our Facebook page have our physical location and all that information as well. So it's easy for people to find. Perfect. Very consistent branding. I like it. We try. Yeah. we try if I could get rid of those dashes via Hasbro I would
0: <laughs> one day maybe maybe they'll relent
1: one day you know the, the funny story there is that they they grabbed that domain weeks before we wanted it
0: oh that's we, a shame yeah,
1: it was I mean we went to we went to get it and we checked and they registered a few weeks a few weeks before and, and they just won't budge huh? it. and they've never used it
0: yeah, all it does is link to their, their redirect to their Hasbro site.
1: Yeah, at one point I was told they were keeping it because they were going to do a big promotion ar- around Rainy Day Games, Rainy Day Games type things. Um, uh, and that was going to be their mm-hmm. landing page for it, but they never did the promotion.
0: <laughs> Jeez, Hasbro, what are you doing?
1: Yeah. yeah, we'll see. Someday.
0: Yeah, someday. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thank yeah, you. Thanks so
1: much. Thanks and, for coming uh, on. and Hope, talk to, about uh, hope to see you at, at some event or something in the future
0: yeah hopefully i'll be able to come to gen con and say hi that would be awesome or even just stop by at the store that'd be really cool oh yeah
1: definitely i'd be very you know. happy
0: okay uh well i will let you get back to work
1: all right thanks for your time
0: have a great afternoon you too bye okay i just want to thank steve again for coming on the show and sharing his insights into the business if you guys get a chance i would definitely recommend checking out rainy day games in person When it comes to board games, Steve is one of the best guys to learn from. And I'm going to do something a little bit different this episode. In addition to telling you to check out ManaverseSaga.com for past episodes of the Manaverse podcast, I want to promote a YouTube channel I found recently called MTG Lion. It's one of the few MTG-related channels that I follow, and I think he puts out some really good content, and I felt like giving him a shout out this week. Check him out if you like to hear about MTG finance and the latest spoilers and things like that. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you guys next week.